Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Luke 19, verse 28, it says, When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road as He was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude, the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when they drew near and saw the city, wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray this morning and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, you are an amazing God. And we realize that it doesn't matter the way things appear. It doesn't matter what people think about you. What matters is. You truly are king. That that will never change. You are eternal. And you rule and you reign over your people. And Lord, today, maybe there's somebody here that has never, ever allowed you into their heart. They've shut you out. They've never made you king of their life. I would pray for that soul today, whether they're watching online or here in the auditorium or even watching outside in the courtyard. We pray your blessing on your word today and your anointing on your word, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. In some sense, there's nothing special about Holy Week. It's just another sequence of eight days, each spring that goes from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. There's no mandate from Jesus or the apostles in celebrating this week. But marking Holy Week is not an obligation 
but it is absolutely an invitation. It's an opportunity to walk with the church throughout time in the most important week of the history of this world. It's an opportunity to focus our hearts on the most important and timeless realities. Although there is no mandate to observe it, the invitation is obvious by the amount of time that the gospel writers spend on it. For example, the final eight chapters of Matthew's 28 chapters are devoted to it. The last six of Mark's gospel of his 16 chapters are given to it, along with the final six of Luke's 24 chapters. And John's gospel dedicates 10 of the 21 chapters to this final week in the life of Christ. Almost half of John is given to Jesus' life betrayal, crucifixion, and resurrection in this final week. The triumphal entry marks the beginning of this final week, and it is a major event in the life of Jesus Christ. And I titled the message, Triumph, Tears, and Tragedy, because it is a moment of triumph in the fact that Jesus is fulfilling God's plans to precision, It is a time of tears in the fact that Jesus would weep over the people's rejection of him. And it is also a time of tragedy in the sense that Jesus gives a prophetic word to them. Luke records a parable. We need to understand this. We always see scripture in the area of context. And the gospel writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recorded certain events in Jesus' life each with a theme that the gospel writer wants to give. I think you realize that when Mark Strauss was here and he did the gospel seminar. And in this portrayal of, in Luke's gospel of Jesus in the triumphal entry, we don't see the palm trees. We don't see the palm branches. Many of you look at today's Palm Sunday. It's also known as that, right? We see the triumphal entry. We see Palm Sunday. Many of you were raised in a Sunday school, and they would give you, as children, palm branches to wave, and you would march around the Sunday school room with shouting victory or something. And that's what the palm branches are symbolizing. They're a symbol of victory. You see that in Revelation chapter 7 when we see those who came out of the great tribulation. But in the triumphal entry, Luke records a parable before this event took place. And it's right in the scriptures leading up to this event in verses 11 through 27. He tells a parable about a nobleman who would go away and he would come back for his people one day. And they're expected to steward what he had given them. They're expected to be responsible for the life that they have, and he's going to come back and he's going to call them into account, but point you to is verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. In verse 27 at the end of the parable, he says, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And so we see the whole issue is Jesus' lordship, his kingship, his ability and his authority to rule and reign over people. Now, the world will reject that. Most of the world will never make Jesus king. We see this rejection going on today. 
The greatest thing anybody else, anybody can do in their life is to make Jesus king of their life. When he becomes king of your life and he rules and he reigns, everything moves according to the will of God. Outside of that, nothing happens. What I want you to see, though, here is Jesus tells this parable, and then he goes up on ahead. It says in verse 28, and he, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So he tells this parable, highlighting the people that don't want him to reign over them. The ones who would reject him, the Jews in this context, who would reject the reign of Jesus, him as king. And so then he goes up onto his triumphal entry. And what I want you to see this morning more than anything is two things about this account. I want you to see the sovereignty of Jesus, and I want you to see the sympathy of Jesus. Jesus' sovereignty and his sympathy. And the reason I say that is because when you marry the two, you get a picture of Jesus, who he really is. Most people have a skewed image of who Jesus is, but when you understand that he is absolutely sovereign, that he is truly the king, but on the other side of the coin, he is also tender-hearted. He is full of mercy. And you see that in his tears here this morning, but what I want to point your attention to first is Jesus' sovereignty. Jesus' sovereignty is seen in the fact that he was in control of the events that take place as he rides into Jerusalem, including this triumphal entry. When he makes his triumphal entry, he is in absolutely, absolute control. You see it in the procession of Jesus. Notice his procession. Jesus is riding a donkey. And a donkey is quite significant. He tells his disciples to go in to the village, probably Bethphage, and get the donkey, and it's going to be tied up, and when if the owner asks you, what are you going to do with the donkey, you're going to tell him the Lord has need of it. And this is a donkey that's never been ridden before. But I like that. The Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. He exercises his authority, and when they go and they get the donkey, the owners, they say, what are you doing with the donkey? The Lord has need of it. And I think Jesus says that to us today. It's an amazing thing that this donkey would be used as an instrument at this moment in history, and the owners would make the scriptures, even though they're not there by name, that there's a moment in time in history where this donkey becomes an instrument for Jesus' triumphal entry. And the Lord would say that to you and me today. He would say, the Lord has need of you. The Lord has need of you. When Jesus looks at us, You see, he looks at us with our gifts, our talents, our treasures, and he says, the Lord has need of you. Every time Jesus speaks that to us, he's talking about our resources, he's talking about our time, he's talking about our talents and our treasures. It's not like we get saved and we're set apart for our own specific purposes. No, we're set apart for his purposes, And no different than Jesus using this donkey as an instrument that would carry him into Jerusalem, God uses us as instruments today to carry the message of Jesus Christ. Donkeys were an important animal in the life of a king. When you look at donkeys through scripture, you see that donkeys were used of kings. They rode horses at times. They rode donkeys at times. They rode horses when it was wartime. They would ride donkeys when it was peacetime. And we see this in the anointing of Solomon. 
important event as Solomon is going to take over the reign from his father David, how does he get anointed? There's a schism going on. There's Absalom is trying to take over the kingship. Zadok pulls things into order. And Solomon ultimately is anointed king. But when he goes to his anointing, it's on the back of a donkey and not on the back of a horse. We see it in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 38 and 39. It says, So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Kirathites and the Pelathites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok and the priest took the horn of the oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. King Solomon was anointed on a donkey. Donkeys were useful to kings. Like I said, when you saw him riding on a horse, it was usually meaning war. When they were on a donkey, it was usually meaning peace. And that's what Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on. He's riding in not on a horse, but he's riding in on a donkey. He's coming in peace. And that's why the people don't really get it yet. They believe he's going to overthrow the Roman government as the promise of the Messiah coming in his second coming. He's going to overthrow really the world, all the nations that are against him. But we see here where he's coming in on a donkey, and more importantly about this whole event, it is a fulfillment of prophecy. It is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, where 500 years before Zechariah prophesied, before the birth of Christ, 500 years, he prophesies this very event taking place, and he says this to exact precision, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This prophecy that came about Jesus 500 years before it happened gave four characteristics about who Jesus is. It says first that he is a king. That he is a king. Zechariah makes that clear. Secondly, he is righteous. He's not just a king. He is a righteous king. Thirdly, it says, Zechariah precisely says he brings salvation. And fourthly, he is humble. He is humble. All of these are in the prophecy of Zechariah speaking of the characteristics of Jesus. And that's what's so amazing about Jesus. Being sovereign over the universe. He is also absolutely humble. His whole life was lived in a life of humility. Humility is the key to authority in the kingdom of God. Very different than the world. You remember when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate when they had him on trial? And Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. What Jesus was saying is our values are not your values. Our values, our principles are not the principles of the world. In the kingdom of God, we do things opposite of the world. The world makes a power grab, and they grab for power through coups, through mudslinging, through running somebody's reputation through the mud. Look at the politicians today and everything they say about one another. They go for power grabs totally opposite of the way the Lord sets things up for his people. Humility always precedes authority. 
Humility always precedes authority in the kingdom of God. Those who humble themselves, Jesus exalts. Those who make themselves low, the Lord puts up high. Very different than the world. And this is seen in the life of Jesus, even at his birth. When he's on his way to Bethlehem from Nazareth, his mother was on a donkey. So even in the womb, he was on a donkey and not on a horse. His life is bookended, so to speak, riding a donkey. And it speaks of his entire life of humility, even as the sovereign king of kings. Now, when he came into Jerusalem, he walked from Galilee. And that's interesting to me because he doesn't get on a donkey until he's going to go into Jerusalem. And he walks all this way, and then all of a sudden he's going to get on a donkey and he's going to ride into Jerusalem. And this switch is quite significant because what they're told to do is to get a donkey, one that's never been ridden before, and untie it and bring it to me. And then he gets on it and he rides it. And the fact that it had never been ridden before tells you something sacred about Jesus' triumphal entry. See, things that animals in the law, in the Old Testament, you couldn't use animals for common purposes in the Old Testament for the Lord. They had to be sacred and separate. So God always designated animals that were separated for his use and not the common purpose of man. You see this, for example, when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. They were told that the ones that were going to pull the oxen that were going to pull the cart that carried the Ark of the Covenant were going to be oxen that had never been yoked before. And so we see Jesus' sovereignty, his sovereign rulership, his kingship as he's riding into Jerusalem. Everything about this triumphal entry speaks that Jesus is the sovereign ruler. Not only that, they throw cloaks on the ground. Now, to us, that wouldn't be a big deal. We live in a culture where maybe, you know, we can go to Dillard's and we can buy jackets on sale. But in those days, it was very, very different. They didn't mass produce jackets. They didn't mass produce clothing. And that's why people had one or two, three, maybe rich people had more garments that they would wear. And these outer garments were expensive because they had to be handmade. And so when they start throwing these cloaks on the ground, it is speaking of their honor of Jesus. It is like a red carpet rollout today. You've seen where people use that term where they say, we're going to roll out the red carpet. They're recognizing them as a person of honor. They're honoring them. Look what 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13 says. They did this for King Jehu when he was ascending to the throne. It says, then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed Jehu as king. So they did the same thing for King Jehu, and at times they would do that. If it was a king that had authority as a sign of respect, if there was an event in their life, they would take the cloaks and they would throw them down. Imagine that. Here Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. And they're throwing out the red carpet for him. They're saying, this is our king. This is our king. Now look at the people's praise. When you look at his procession, it consists of the donkey. It consists of the cloaks being thrown on the ground. The recognition that he is a person of honor. 
But their praise also speaks of his sovereignty. Look at verse 37. It says, As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for what? For all the mighty works that they had seen. And when you look at this in the Gospel of Luke, before the triumphal entry, he goes through Jericho. And in Jericho, right outside of Jericho, he heals a blind man. Blind man comes out as he's crying out to Jesus, if you're the son of David, heal me. And Jesus does. He opens up his blind eyes. He makes him to see again. So all the crowd saw that. But John's gospel is very significant when it comes to the people praising Jesus for his mighty works. For in John's gospel, chapter 11, we read of Lazarus being healed. Remember what Lazarus was a friend of his? Lazarus was dead for three days in the tomb. He's going in the fourth day stinking, smelling. He's totally dead. And the Bible says that Jesus shows up and he actually raises him from the dead, calls him out of the tomb. Can you imagine seeing that? Imagine if you were at Hem's brother's mortuary and you were visiting. It was the night of visitation. It was for a friend. And all of a sudden, somebody walked in and said, rise, so-and-so. And they got up and they walked away from the casket. You got to admit that that would blow you away, wouldn't it? Well, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was right before the triumphal entry, and this blew the crowds away. And here's what John says in chapter 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only account of him, now watch this. They didn't come just to see Jesus, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, but it says they not only came on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Everybody wanted to see this. Everybody was talking about, hey, Lazarus rose from the dead. He was dead for three days. Some of you guys were at his funeral. And now all of a sudden he's risen from the dead. And then as you read on in John a few verses later, here's what it says in verses 12 to 13. The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So the crowds were gathering because of his mighty works. They knew there was something different about Jesus. He not only taught with authority, but he backed it up with his works. When he talked about people being blind to the things of the kingdom of God, he would heal a blind man. You can read that in John's gospel chapter 9. So these miracles that John talks about, always signs that were pointing to who Jesus was. And right before his triumphal entry, he raises a dead man. And the crowds gather. They want to see this guy. They, they want to, I would too, to be honest with you. I would want to see, man. I'd be hailing him as king as well, right? I mean, how many people do you know have ever raised a dead person? I know there's testimonies, but how many do you know were dead for three or four days? Not many. So the crowds are gathering. And they praise Jesus for his mighty works, but they also praise him as king. Look at verse 18. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus proved who he was. And they had no question seeing his mighty works. They had no question seeing Lazarus raised from the dead. 
There he was. Nobody was going to argue that. He'd be all over CNN. He'd be all over Fox News. He'd be all over MSNBC. He'd be on there doing interviews like people do today. And nobody doubted that. And they knew there was something different about Jesus. They knew that he was the Messiah. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.